0: yeah it's a tough call i think i think my you know comical answer would be i like the last section it needs a direction right because <laughs> it's going to be over soon <laughs> um, but but i think you know but but jeff made a good point putnam is pretty rad because it is such a long grinder I from many miles to go. i'm just an old hot
1: rocker running from the dust till dawn uh-huh. I walk what's it so long uh-huh. but when the sun goes down that's when I my mind yeah. Hey everybody, my name is Dan Ryan. I am the social media director for the Hard Rock 100 Endurance Run and I am joined today by my co-host Chris Twiggs. That's right. Chris Twiggs,
2: Hard Rock board member and 16-time Hard Rock finisher and guy who is just super excited to be here to talk to a really awesome guest and, uh, and kind of a guest co-host with us this week.
1: So, yeah, we're joined today by Carl Meltzer and Jeff Browning. Uh, Jeff, we've had on the show a couple of times. Uh, both of them are legends in trail and ultra running and have Je- Carl has five Hard Rock wins. So Carl has won the Hard Rock 100 five times starting in 2001. Uh, Jeff won the Hard Rock 100 in 2016, but both of them combined probably have almost 100 between the two of them. Pretty, pretty, pretty,
2: pretty amazing. Uh, The other thing that's really neat talking to these guys is that they are both Uh, coaches of ultra runners. They, uh, I think they both have a couple of ultra runners that are in hard rock this year. And so getting their perspective, not just as former winners of hard rock, but just people that are trying to guide people into the sport and guide people to success on this very challenging course. I think that's a really neat perspective. I'm super excited
1: talking with them. And I know that people are going to really enjoy this episode. (laughs) Um, So without further ado, everybody, please welcome on Carl Meltzer and Jeff Browning.
2: So uh, Jeff and Carl, we are really excited to have you guys on here today. Thank you very much for joining us on the Hard Talk podcast. And uh, we did get to hear from Jeff uh, on episode two. If people haven't listened to that, they need to go back and hear it. Uh, So let's start with you, Carl. I think everybody that that knows about Hard Rock knows who you are. You've won Hard Rock five times. You've got eight Hard Rock finishes among uh, your many, many finishes. I think you're up to 4,900 mile wins at this point. Uh, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, uh, but if you would please tell us, yeah, tell us about yourself and how you got into the sport and, uh, and became an ultra runner.
0: Well, I mean, I just got it. So in 89, I moved to Utah to ski and decided to stay the summer, you know, long story short, stay the summer, started running around the mountains. I'd run in high school and and would have been in college when I was younger. So running was not new to me. And then I just loved it and started doing it. Pikes Peak Marathon was a big race, and then uh, then it became Wasatch. And then when I heard about Hard Rock, um, you know, I had to do it because it was tougher than Wasatch. So '99, I ran Hard Rock, and um, I was got, got yelled at for going out too fast to KT, which which is funny because my split there was 2:53, I remember, and now they now they're getting there in like 2:20. <laughs> but um, but no, I just I just love the sport, you know. I love I love the hundred mile distance primarily because there's a lot more strategy involved than just being a fast runner so hard rock just became part of my uh my yearly routine you know and i mean you mentioned i had eight i think eight finishes i got 13 starts i mean i've got as many dnfs as i do wins (laughs) um Hmm. hopefully we can change some of that this year and at least lean towards the finishes better uh but it's just a great race it's a great place it's a great community it's it's what i like best it's a smaller it's a big race but it's a smaller field instead of the congo line style um so I mean I'm I'm psyched to be back this year. I really didn't think I was going to get in. I had two I thought I had two tickets. Apparently I had 10. I only thought I had two. Um so I didn't really think I was going to run. Um but I threw my name in the lottery anyway and then I got picked and I kind of actually thought maybe Dale threw me in there because you know I hadn't I hadn't run it in a number of years and I sort of wanted to come back. I'm close to 10 finishes. I don't know. I kind of gave myself some reason for him to pick me but but then Dan told me, No, no, Dale didn't pick you and they showed results of that and uh I'm excited now. I mean now I now I live in Ridgeway too, so I live you know, I live right near Uray. So I have more time to actually train on the course and or more or more so just train on at a little more altitude and a little bit more s- steeper trails than the Wasatch. So in theory, um, I should have a decent year if I can keep myself healthy, but every day I get out of bed, I kind of hobble over to the bathroom, you know, I can't even move. So, <laughs> um, it's not good when you get older, that's for sure. It's been, it's been quite a ride the last couple of years. Just watching myself slow down, but I'm psyched to be back. It's a great race. I'm excited for it. First year that I heard about hard rock was probably 98. I mean, 97 or 98. Um, I didn't know about it in the nineties, the earlier nineties when I first started, uh, But I was kind of like when I ran Wasatch and I did well, and I won in '98. I was sort of seeking out the harder races, the tougher courses, where it was more my style, um, more my strength. And then I heard about Hard Rock, and I just like I had to enter. And I remember, um, I I think I entered the race in June when there was like 60 runners on the list, and I think they took 112 runners that year, which is crazy to think, you know, now what it's like. But uh, and I remember Carolyn Erdman actually. I think she called me on the phone because I don't think we had email. How am I not even have had email at that time? But she called me and said, hey, you better enter. There's 60 people on the list. You know, you want to make sure you get in. This was like mid-June. So I hurried up and I wrote my check out and I mailed it in, you know. Um, Things have changed, no doubt. But that was the first, you know, 97, 98 is when I heard about it. And then then I was like all about it. I mean, I came over here three weeks in advance to acclimatize. I did all that kind of kind of stuff and camped and my whole winter working at Snowbird while bartending was focused on saving enough cash to come over here to run the race and hang out for a few weeks. So my focus was all about it, you know. Um, And then when I ran in 99, I led the race all the way through uh, about mile 90 when we used to go over Buffalo Boy Mine, um, that route. And uh, Blake Wood came, you know, churning by me at the very bottom of Cunningham and I sat down on a rock and I was out. (laughs) And uh, and that was out, you know. Blake went on to win, and I think just over 30 hours, which is crazy because that was at the time that was I think it was a record by just a little bit, and uh, you know now the record's 21:34 or something. So times have changed, um, but yeah, that's that's when I first heard about it, and it's been pretty much on my mind like my entire ultra running career. It's part of my life, you know. Yeah you t- you
2: talked about how things have changed a bit things are things have gotten faster and it has it has been a while right uh this year uh 2024 will be 7 years since your last start at wow. <laughs> um at Hard Rock and so uh i think it's good it's good that we've got uh bronco Billy on here uh who has run it more recently uh jeff do you have any 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 thoughts or advice on um on how the race has changed over the last few years things that Carl can uh, can look forward to when yeah. he gets out there this yeah. summer
3: I think the biggest thing is it's just mind-blowing how fast everyone goes out now um yeah. it's just you know the times are so much faster I did my first hard rock in 07 and that was the year Jurek got the record and Carl I think you got second that yep. year yep. um and um and that, back then, I mean, I think Jurek got the record in 26-something. And I've been running 25 to 27 hours, depending on which direction, pretty consistently. And I'm usually fourth through sixth, <laughs> you know, typically. So, it, and I might, and I got, I mean, I mean, Courtney beat me last year. So, and I still ran 27-something. So, that just shows you like how fast this course is now compared like just the ultra running. I mean, Carl and i both seen it. I've been in the sport. This is going to be my 24th season. And, and I'm a little, I came a little later than Carl and it, it, it's crazy how, how much in the last, like just five to seven years, the times have just like plummeted. Um, and the consistent times across the board, you know, top five, top 10 are way faster than they used to be. Um, it's just definitely a different sport now.
0: Yeah. People go out harder. Like you said, you know, it's a different, it's a different perspective. Like I said, my time was two, when I would bring that two fifty three to KT that year, I remember one woman yelling at me, you guys are crazy. You're not, you're going way too fast. And that was a half an hour. I mean, I'm probably going to be three and a half hours there this year. Um, probably. Um, but it's, it is, it's like, it just goes out faster. You know, the hard rock course really is. Um, it is a lot of it is runnable. Like, you know, I think a lot of the guys that are really fast are acclimated. Guys, yeah, it's I mean, the road parts are runnable, right? I mean, sure, the steep parts are tough. But um, for the guys that are, you know, the younger guys that are that are that fit, I mean, you know, the Killens, the Francois, the guys like that. I mean, those guys, they do that every day and they're used to it. And I've always said it back in the day, long, long time ago, that if you can run, you know, a 17 mile race this fast, why can't you keep doing it for 100? I mean, it sounds kind of crazy to say that, but you know, if
3: why not, right? Why? So now the guys well, are, think, now the guys are proving that they can do it. Oh, I think the other thing that's changed is that guys, especially the elites that are coming in, are coming in way early. Like people didn't consistently; they might come in a week early, mm-hmm. but now people are coming in a month early or three weeks early. You know, and really acclimating and training on the course and getting ready. And people are—it's a more professional sport, you know, like. Mm-hmm. People don't have day jobs anymore. And that, that changes the way you can train for stuff too. When you have that kind of bandwidth, you're able to
0: rest. Yeah. You know, yeah. You can train hard, but then you get to rest, which is your recovery, which makes it that much better at the end of the day. You know? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Acclimatization, acclimatization acclimating. Um, that's, that's key. And I think that's really, um, fantastic advice. Uh, you know, I've, I've got several hard rock finishes, but nowhere near as fast as you guys. Uh, but I do live in Florida and I get people all the time that ask me how, how I do it living in Florida. And the trick is I don't stay in Florida. I get, I get out to your a three to six weeks before hard rock and um, it makes a massive difference getting out there. And I do, I feel for people that have those day jobs that, that require them to stay in flat, low lying areas uh, and can only come out a few days before the event. Any, any suggestions or well, really things wanted- that they could do?
3: Yeah. Well, I was going to say it's one of the few races that you kind of have to do it. Like, not, yeah, not you that go. you have yeah. to, but it's it's it definitely makes it a different race if you can. And I, I think that's mm. a really, I mean, that's the big thing. And and I, I would say, like, as far as, like, tips, you know, I mean, people can do sauna work. That's going to help a little bit, you know. um, You know, they probably, if they have a, can get a hypoxico, like, mask system or something like that. I mean, that would be another one. But I mean, that's a quite an investment. Um, the best thing is just to come early, take a yeah, vacation mm-hmm. or if you can work remotely, you know, for part of it, come early and, you know, a, at least a week or 10 days early and you'll feel a lot better than just coming in the week of.
0: Yeah. And even if it hurts that much, you just, you know what it feels like, you know, Instead <laughs> yeah. of being thrown into the mix like, oh, and you you're up at 13.5 climbing over a pass and you're out there dying, you know? And you know, well, I have to
3: say, Carl, the year you and Jurek were racing, I, that was my first year 07. Mm-hmm. I showed up, I had slept in an altitude tent, a really janky one. It was like 9,000 feet for like four weeks. And I had never been on the course. And I think that's one of my biggest tips is get there and get on the course. So you know what you're like, hard rock miles are way slower. It's just, it's way different when you're sucking wind at 12 or 13,000 feet above tree line. So getting some experience on the course is really important. I wish I would have after, before my first, because it kind of slapped me in the face.
0: Yeah. And it kind of, it matters to know, to kind of know it intimately too. Like, in, like when you go to a course, I've run many courses blind in the last number of years, the smaller races where I don't know, you know, I don't know what's coming around the corner, but when you know, when you're coming up, say out of Sherman going into cataract and you know, and I can, even now that I have been on the course for seven years or even more, I could detail exactly where that thing goes so and even in the dark when i go up the trail i know how long it's going to take me to get over that pass and how long it's going to take me to get down to pole creek and, and all that kind of stuff and when you know that you you just have a better sense it's better for your mindset you know instead of just saying man i think i got four miles to go my Casio's not telling me how far i gotta go so you know <laughs> um <laughs> got to use those little things but i mean it's it is important to know the course and it definitely course knowledge. I mean, now you know I know it intimately. I don't need to look at it, but uh, it is important for people to come and to you know you can study the map all day long, but that doesn't do that doesn't do justice. I don't you know um, you can study distances and all that kind of stuff, but you really do need to see it to really understand how long it takes to get from point A to point B, and then add 20, then add twenty percent halfway through the, <laughs> halfway through the race, add thirty percent later in the race because you're gonna get slower. Um, yeah. You just gotta you gotta respect it, you know, and you gotta know how much water to take and all that kind of stuff. Know where to scoop water if you're if you're comfortable with that, because um, I'll scoop out there. I don't know Jeff if you'll scoop or not. I know where to scoop out here. I won't scoop um, in Cold Creek, but you know, yeah, um,
3: yeah. I typically carry my um, just like one of those inline cap filters that's in right. on a soft flask, right? So I can just dip and drink, yeah. And um, then I don't have to carry as much water weight right. um, through certain sections that definitely helps a lot. Yep. But the, I always miss miscalculate cuz rock's so much slower than every other race. Right. And sometimes even from year to year I forget and I get, you know, in the race and I always opt to go a little lighter and so then it's like, oh, I should have carried one more flask <laughs> on this section. Yeah. You
0: know. Yeah, yeah those so, are important things. Like the first person the first time runner here, those those little things that they'll the only way they're going to find out how to do that stuff is being in the race, you know. Or be here a month yeah. before, hoping, hoping that there's not not too much snow in the course where they can actually figure it out, you know?
3: Well, I think another one that I recommend, if you're going to come early, is to always go look at the, like, hike up to the three-pitch snow field on Virginia's, yeah. and always just, like, maybe about a week out, do a mellower workout where you'd hike up and then just jog down from, like, drive up Camber Road a quite a ways and then hike up the road and go up. You can do like a five or six mile round trip, you know, up to the pass and where the aid station would be. And then you can, you kind of know the conditions of, because every season the conditions are different. Sometimes it's been dry. Sometimes it's patchy. Sometimes it's super, you know, covered. Like last year was fully covered, but the year before that was dry. And so just, Knowing what the conditions are that specific year, I think is really kind of an important piece of that race because it's nice to come, especially in the direction we're going this year. You come to that spot, and it's nice to know, like, okay, I just go right there. I, you know exactly where you're going because otherwise, it's intimidating. If you have never been on that three pitch snowfield, it's really intimidating to people, and that head wall and the rope line, and like just knowing, like, okay, that's the route. And that's where I go, and I go to that boulder, and then I go left. And, you know, Mm -hmm. you kind of know where you're dropping off in each section. And I think that's a a, a good kind of beta one to know before the race. There's nothing worse than being confused as to
0: where you're going when you're going down a hill like that. When you look around, like, where's the marker? You don't want to have to do that. You want to just know they're out.
1: So um, when we talked to Gordon Hardman, he said that when they were designing the course, John Kappa sent him a... Manila envelope full of maps. Right, it had <laughs> lines drawn on it, and it was calculated out how much vertical gain each one of these options could potentially have. And they didn't know what the course was actually like until they went and hiked it a couple, couple, uh, couple weeks before the, the run. So, with that being said, what is your favorite part of the course?
0: You
3: yes, go ahead. I'm trying to think about that for a second.
1: <laughs> um,
3: <laughs> it's that's a hard one. I mean, cause there's such, there's so many cool sections that are like kind of gnarly. And I like, I I mean, I tend to like the gnarly stuff. I mean, I mean, Handies is kind of epic, right? In, in either direction, it's a cool route coming up out of grouse, like that we're going to do this year. And then, you know, the other way coming out of Grizzly Gulch is really cool too, as climbing up it. Um, so, I, I mean, I've always liked that section. Um, I've always liked Bear Creek section. You know, those are my, those are highlights for me. You know, I, I like Putnam too. I, you know, I, I think I've kind of learned to like Putnam just so many years of doing it. And, you know, cause I have seven finishes now and, um, I, I really, I really like that too. I mean, I can't, I don't know if I could pick one.
0: Yeah. It's a tough call. I think, I think my, you know, comical answer would be, I like the last section. It needs a direction, right? <laughs> cause it's going to be over soon. <laughs> Um, but but i think you know but but jeff made a good point putnam is pretty rad because it is such a long grinder from silverton even if it's the beginning such a long grinder to get up there and you seem to be up above And granted of course you're up above places in a lot of sections of the course but that is a pretty special area where it's just there's not a tree in sight
3: and you you have to cross the creek so it's wild
0: yeah it's you know what
3: i mean it's the access to it is the creek on yep. both ends, up high, when you cross at KT and down below by the highway, the, you have to cross the river to run that section. So not very many people run it. Right. So it's really cool section because it doesn't get a ton of traffic. So it's very kind of remote feeling.
0: Yeah, and I've been on, you know, I, I was up on KT last year and just going across and it's still like that trail's still thin, you know. It's not like it's been beaten down into a highway. Um, because yeah. it isn't really a, it isn't, you know, the Ice Lakes Basin Trail, which is like a mil- million people go up there, you know, up that main, yeah. main track. So it's, that's a unique part of the course. Um, you know, back in the days, in the early 2000s, when I ran areas like Cataract, like Pole Creek, like uh, Top of Double Giant, maybe, um, there really wasn't a trail there, you know. I mean, now there is kind yeah. of, there's now there's
3: kind of, there's a path. We'll call it a path. Um, a well, path. they've rerouted that section through like, up through cataract lake section on uh, so now we stay like we go up to the uh, we climb a little more yeah and a little farther to the south right because it stays part, on
0: trail. i haven't seen that exact part of so i'll scope that this year i know the old route of course but i don't know that so that's one part that i will do um but other yeah. than that i probably won't scope too much more but uh as far as encore stuff but i got to see that first you know but i have a really good memory like for things like that if i see it once i usually can can nail it in the dark if i have to
3: um yeah for- it used to be hard through that section yeah it was kind of bushwhacky. and if it ever rained whoa, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was a gnarly section because there was like willows and a ton of little creek crossings and rated streams in there
0: yeah it should be it, i mean really looking forward to the new stuff it's the course has changed a lot we used to have to go across the young river coming into uray where they had a rope and if, if you remember that I remember Kathy Denofrio.
3: They didn't. They didn't have that when I when I did it. Okay, well, I did re-route. the first
0: couple of years, that, that river was waist was a thigh deep at, on a normal year. I remember Kathy Denofrio crossing it was up to her chest, you know, because she's pretty short, and uh, actually it was kind of dangerous. But now the course is a little bit faster because of those things too um, that have changed. You know, some of those routes coming into your array and stuff is a little different. But uh,
3: yeah, I don't know
0: that good. that's
2: faster though. The 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 um. The pointless ups and downs that they have now right. between Bear Creek Uray and the city, oh, I, I'm, I'm really hoping they find a way to fix that area because that's a, that's a it's miserable up and down climbing. That thing. time
1: of year for Chris to start complaining about the pointless ups and downs.
2: <laughs> it's my mission. My, my legacy is going to be getting rid of those things if we can find a way to do it. Get yeah, a of- t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Um. So we talked, you, you talked, you guys both talked a little bit about advice for first timers coming out. Um, but Carl, I mean, with, with five wins more than anyone, you know, what it takes to compete up, up there at the front and, um, without giving anything away about your potential strategy for this year, are, is there any advice that you think you can give anyone who is coming to hard rock for the first time, but is coming to compete one of those, dale picks maybe that is coming to uh to try to finish
0: fast yeah i mean you're looking at uh zach miller right i mean you know you know right. zach's gonna go out to the front anyway i don't doesn't matter what you tell him he's gonna do that heck yeah dude mm-hmm. he's
3: gonna hammer from the he's front. gonna
0: hammer i mean francois ludo and zach in my opinion is it might be the race probably is the race i mean i'm certainly not in the race i don't think jeff's quite fast enough anymore to be right there with those guys no offense but you know we know you know <laughs> Um, no, yeah, I'm not. No, we're not. I mean, but those, I mean, I think for those guys, you mean, know, Francois won it. He knows, you know, but Zach and Ludo are definitely coming in as the hot contenders. And Schlarb, too. Schlarb can certainly do it, too, if he's, he has a good day. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'll say, like, for the other first timers that aren't in the face, you know, run your own race. Don't worry about anyone else, which is what I'll do. But th- those guys in the front, it's like, in order for them to, for Zach to win or for Ludo to win and to beat Francois or any of those guys, they have to be close because they've proven it time and time again that when they go out hard, they can, they're probably going to survive till the end to some degree and be fast. They're not going to blow up and, you know, either drop out or just blow up and, you know, pull a Hal Kerner and fall four hours back after the last four, you know, 20 miles or something. But, uh, but the other for anyone else in the race, it's like, and for me included, is run your own race. I mean, my goal right now is to finish a hundred hundreds. It's not to, not to run fifth or tenth here. I don't. I have no time goal at Hard Rock, to be honest with you. Um, I think I'll be hard pressed to break thirty. Honestly, um, I I I intend to run four under hundreds this year before Hard Rock too. So I don't know whether that'll play a game in that or not, but. Um, My goal is different now as I've gotten older. I just want to finish them. I still finish fairly good, but, you know, I mean, I'm not here to enjoy it at this point. Um, Try to get my old body to get to 100 of them. Still got 20 to go, so I got a ways to go still, but I'm getting there, you know. Um, But those fast guys, the girls too. I mean, Courtney's running, right? So, okay, well, she's she's the one in the front, right? She's going to do her thing. If you want to beat her, you're going to have to stay close to her because she's another one of those girls that – like Ludo, like Francois, like Zach, they're probably not gonna, probably not gonna blow up. We haven't seen it. I mean, have we? Has Courtney ever even blown up? I don't know. You know,
3: only one time there, but that was like she had a stomach thing that right. happened, and I, but she figured that out, and I think it was like I had, I think it had to do with some like caloric and sodium stuff, and she yeah. fixed it in the in between those two years, mm-hmm. and then she came back and cra- crushed it, right? And she's crushed it two yeah. two times there now. I mean, it's hard to bet against her,
0: right? I mean, just any yeah. idiot would bet against her. I, I just—I mean, she's the person to beat. Right? She's got the target on her back. Like when I, you know, a funny, funny old story that the target on the back, right? When I won in 2001, um, I jokingly put a little target, as in the the store target, little on my back, on the center of my back, like someone was, like I was the target. Um, <laughs> just joking around, of course, but that was something I did because because I was like the you know at the time. I was the man to beat, right? I ran a record that no one was going to touch for my lifetime. Apparently, when I ran twenty six thirty nine, that was like, oh my god, Carl! No one's going to ever beat that. But I was. Which
3: direction did you run that in? um, Do
0: you remember this direction that we're running this year? So counter, no, clockwise, right? right? We're going up Silverton Bear Creek this year first, right?
3: Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing clockwise. KT first, right? Yeah. So yeah, that was yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's what I when I was two
0: fifty three at KT. It's gonna be. It's gonna be having the target on my back was was kind of funny. Um, and then I don't even remember if I won the following year. But at the same time, uh, you had to joke around and still make it fun. You know, it was still. I'm, I'm a competitive person, but at the same time, it's it's still all fun and games out there. We still get to do this for fun. You know.
3: What year so, was that? Two thousand one. So yeah, here I think- to give you you guys the perspective. 2001, he ran 26.39, you said, yeah. for a course record and kind of blew everyone's minds, yeah. right? Right. In 2016, 15 years later, I, I ran that direction 25.42 and got fourth. Right. Like, that <laughs> just shows you like the sport has just like is crazy. Yeah. Right?
0: Yeah. And I, okay, and, you anyway, know, that,
3: I ran, just had, I, that just jumped out at me. I'm like, that's crazy. Yeah, and when I, you know, when I ran that time,
0: it was like I broke the record by two hours. Was, the record was Kirk App at 29:35, I think he ran. So I was like three hours faster, right? And it was like, oh yeah. my god, it's three hours.
3: Faster. I remember that, dude. You were like profiled in like in Trail Runner magazine, no Running, illustrated, awesome.
0: man. That was it was a big year. Oh yeah, it was.
3: <laughs> you just, do you still have that issue?
0: Uh somewhere.
3: <laughs> you know. should have that in a frame somewhere, man. Yeah, You're I do have Sports it somewhere.
0: But uh that was but that was classic. Like when I before I started that year, I found out that National Geographic was also there, um, and Sports Illustrated was there. And I said to my buddy Scott Mason, I said this would be a really good year to bust it. You know? Just because of, <laughs> that was the media. That was the that was the social media of two thousand one, right? Um
3: Yeah, there was no social yeah, media. Yeah, and,
0: and and I and I had a great race. I mean I I ran with Kurt Anderson all the way to, to Grouse Gulch. We ran together. He's a good friend of mine from Salt Lake and we both left Grouse, uh, same time. It was just getting dark and we started hiking up the switchbacks and I started to drop Kurt and I kind of looked back. I didn't see him. And apparently he passed, he, he dropped to his knees and sort of passed out on the trail and sat down and and then he was done. And then I was like, okay, well I'm going to, you know, I got 35 miles to go, whatever it was. And I'm like, I'm going to punch it. And then I ran off and, uh, and when I came into the finish line, the, the classic scene was, you know, we've got National Geographic Sports Illustrated. They've got these tripods and cameras all set up on the street. And I'm coming down the road. No one's at their camera. They're, you know, they're all in the gym drinking coffee. <laughs> so, I, so I roll around the corner. and
3: one- There were no spot trackers back then either. Oh,
0: God, no. And, when I, and, you know, the funny thing is I came in. This is a good story because I came in by the a ski hill and I came down the ski hill. One guy was sitting there in his chair. He was like nodding off, ready to sleep sleeping and all of a sudden he saw me come out of the woods and he was like shit and he jumps in his car and he you know he floors it going over to the gym to tell people that i'm coming and i was like at you know i was half mile from the finish or less and i'm so i'm i'm running pretty fast to finish because i was all fired up and again i came around the corner nobody in front of those cameras one guy got the photo at the very last second there when i had my arms out like where is everybody and uh (laughs) that's the photo in sports illustrated that's like the glory photo you know um but that was really, really I mean, Dale came out, he's like, dude, I couldn't believe you're here. So I'm thinking to myself, like, well, you know when I went through Cunningham. And they had they had radios, <laughs> you know, so they knew yeah. when I went through Cunningham. I think my split was like two ten from Cunningham home that day. So That's solid. That was that was moving. Yeah. I mean, that was not the best now, but that was good that was pretty good. And uh they never expected me to be that fast at the end. But I mean I was it was one of those things when you're so you're fired up, you know you have a big lead. Way up on Cunningham or looking down at Cunningham from.
3: And now you're just trying to take the record
0: down. Yeah, now I'm just like, I wonder if I'll go under 27, you know, whatever. And uh, I mean, I remember turning the corner and seeing uh, by Raster Creek with three miles to go and Rock Horton and his wife, Catherine, now were there. And they're like, they saw me there and it was like 26 hours, like 26 hours right about there. And uh, they were just like, oh my God, like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just running, man, you know? <laughs> and I just cranked it into the finish. It's just when you, when you're winning a race, when you know you have it won and you have three, five, seven miles to go and you know you're out there and you're gone, there's no better feeling than that. I mean, I've, I've had that feeling, you know, a lot of times. Um, and it doesn't never gets old. Even the last race I just won never gets old. It's it's exciting to win. You know, I mean, I've had a really pretty awesome career to be able to do that. Um, but a Hard Rock has always been the specialist place to come across the line because you kiss the rock. The people out there, they're all... They're all into it. They all know what's going on. Um, it's an exciting race to finish. doesn't matter if you're bogey coming in with one second to go or, you know, your Hans Dieter back in the day coming across the line or any of those guys. Every single person that comes across that line is a winner. Um, you know, I mean, I think Jeff would say the same thing. It's like, and Chris, you too, you know, you've all finished the race. So it's it's emotional coming across the line. Um, it really is. It's it's. Yeah, I've broken down a number of times. I try to hide it sometimes, but it's like, it's, it's special, you know, and you got to like, remember those memories and someday we'll write a book about it, but um, <laughs> it's a special race and it's, it's an honor to be part of it. Um, like I said, I, it's, I never thought I'd get in this year, but now I guess I have to do it. So uh, um, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. I am. Um...
2: So to, to, to check the the records, cause um, you said you weren't sure whether you came back or you weren't sure if you ran the next, if you won the next year. So 2002, the race was canceled. Right. Um, 2003, uh, you came back and you did, you did win in 2003. Mm, okay. um, so you got those, those two in a row. Uh, but you actually, you went even faster. I mean, you talk about this record that was not going to be broken in your lifetime, but you won uh, another one of your wins was in 2009 and you went even faster, right? Just over 24 hours. 24,
0: 38. Yeah, that that year, um, you know, it's ironic about that year is I did the Appalachian Trail the year before that. And so, you know, you would think like that, does that matter? But every time I've done a big event like that, the AT, the Pony Express, the AT again, the AT again, (laughs) Um, I've always come back the following year running really, really well. And it's, and I think, I think it's sort of, it, it's kind of ironic how, like, I put this amazing base of going, you know, 45 to 50 miles a day for a month and a half. This base was just my, my mentality was like, you know, I had this phrase, 100 miles is not that far. But I sort of coined that phrase after 2008 when I did the AT. I'm like, I mean, 100 miles, I'm like, good, good, good Lord, I just was 45 days out there doing something. So it really sort of mentally made the race, it's always going to be hard. Don't get me wrong, but it's, it's gives you the mentality of like yeah it's one day it's one effort. But when I came back in 2438, I will say that that was the first time I ever used poles. And when I got to Grouse, ah. this was the counterclockwise direction. I got to Grouse and I grabbed poles, which were kind of heavy black diamond poles. They were like the telescoping ones. I mean they cork candles they were kind of heavy. But but I used them all the way to the finish line, and when I got to Urae, after going over Engineer and then down into Uray, I was like, "These using these poles is like cheating," because I honestly, I remember, I remember that getting passed around. Yeah, and I was, I was just thinking, like, man, this is it's it's helping me so much. Um, so I will use poles this year, <laughs> um, but <laughs> I use poles every day I go running now just to get used to it for my arms. But, but, um. You know, it's weird. I I had a great year that year and everything else, but I really think the poles, pole factor helped me go a little bit faster. And now that I'm actually, now we see everybody in races such as Hard Rock or UTMB where poles play a good role because the courses are steep. There's long climbs. There's no bush to catch them, stuff like that. Um, they're, they are beneficial. I don't like carrying poles. I, I, I really don't, but at the same time, does it work? I kind of think it does, and and now the times when poles have come into the play more often, the guys are running faster. I mean, Francois was using poles, wasn't he? I think. I'm not a sure. Oh yeah, there. yeah. He was,
3: everyone's using poles now. Yeah. I mean, and all these guys come from ski background, and I I I have a ski background and, and Nordic ski and skate ski, and so I have I know all the like combos that you right. would use during with Nordics, and and it really plays a huge role in your climbs. Yeah. Um, I put them away for the downhills, but go That's ahead. Keep it balanced too. So every time you slip or something, you yeah. really don't
0: slip, right? So you you just keep a steady flow of going uphill. And uh, and I'm experiencing, even now, when I am I live up in Log Hill and Ridgeway, Ridgeway, which is kind of flatter trails in the wintertime, and I'm actually still using my poles because I'm just getting my arms more conditioned so they won't get tired during the race later. Um, but honestly, yeah. I use them more. I I've, I've done a little thing now where I put a – a rubber band on the handle instead of using the straps i put a rubber band around the thing and st- stick my middle fingers with rubber band and use the poles like a fulcrum with my hand on top of the pole instead of like the grips i don't know how many people do yeah. this but it's been working the poles are a little bit shorter than i used um back in the day but they're giving me actually more propulsion forward and then if if uh, the pole gets stuck somewhere the rubber band brings it back to me instead of dropping the damn thing um how many times I can't tell you how many times I dropped poles on the AT. You know, I mean, I was losing minute a mile because I was dropping my poles. Um, but This is just a little thing I've been kind of experimenting with and trying to become more efficient. And that's in my career, I've always tried to be more efficient because I'm not—I've never been the fastest runner. I just—I that's why I've done better at hundreds. I think I'm not the fastest runner, but I try to be the most efficient runner to gain time in that on that area. So this is just another tr- trick that I'm trying to help. To get myself maybe under 30 hours this year i don't know we'll see but um i'm liking the rubber band idea um it's been working for me so we'll see what happens that's a good trick i'd not i had not heard that at well, all you that's don't a drop good trick them, you know that's the thing is like I, when you drop them in your sore you gotta oh, you gotta bend over and pick up the pole you know instead of it just comes with you so we'll see what happens
1: so nancy hamilton the first female hard rock champion told us she never was really trying to win. She just wanted to beat somebody who she was out there running with named Susie. Uh, do you guys have a Susie or someone you've raced against a number of times who brings out the best in you? I think it depends
3: on the race and the, and the season. So like, I mean, Carl and I've raced each other yeah. at run rabbit run. Um, we've been like two, second and third, um, Always there close. And, yeah. you know, really, really close to each other in that race for a lot of the race and ran together for part of it. Um, you know, so there's always been, you know, certain races where someone ends up near next to you and you know, them, and you end up, you know, it becomes a friendly competition for sure. I think
0: now, now I don't, I don't have that Susie now. I don't mean now I'm just, like I said, I'm just trying to get them done. Um, Jeff will be way ahead of me this year anyway, hard rock, but, uh, but Jeff and I did have some great races together. You know, when I think the one time I did you beat it. you at Run Rapid Run, you just had one bad patch that kind of gave me 20 minutes on you. And that was about it, you know. and
3: Over on the Cow Camp or Cow yeah. Creek or whatever that was called, that little section, yep. I just remember, like, that had a little rough patch there and I lost 20 minutes and I never got yeah. it back. And I was, like, 20 minutes back in third the rest of the race. But, you know, the
0: days when, when, when Hal Kerner was racing up there and when Ian Torrance and Scott, Jurek, and, and those guys, like, those, that's kind of the 2000s. I mean, those were always the guys I wanted to race against. And we're all friendly competition between all of us. Nate McDowell, another one. Um, but you know, we always still wanted to beat each, beat each other, you know. Um, I mean, when, when Scott won in, when he beat me, it was kind of the Meltzer Jura duel, whatever, whatever year that was. Um, and Scott got the best of me that year. That was, that was a great race between us until I took a nap at over you know, then it was over, um, between he and I. But, um, it's always fun to race race against your buddies, Um and I've had a lot of buddies over the years. But uh, and all these guys, all the guys Jeff and Scott and Hal and all those guys, been it's been a great career to race against friends like that. And it's oh, we're always we'll always be all those guys that I've met in ultra running. To me, are all kind of like my high school buddies. You know, when you go back to high school, you hang around with friends, and it's just like boom, you haven't seen them in twenty years. Doesn't matter, they're still the same.
3: Yeah. Your brothers again. It's right? the same
0: thing. Like, I mean, I just saw Hal recently and I hadn't seen him in a long, long time. And same thing, you know, same with Ian, same with Scott. Just, it's, it's just awesome to have friends like that, that you can look back on and look back on our careers. How, how awesome it was. Um, it's been a great ride.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, um, so,
2: so Jeff, He's, he's given you permission to head, head on ahead of him. He's not going to make you wait on him and, uh, and, and I wasn't going to wait you. for
3: him. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, uh, but I am wondering Carl, um, and, and actually for you too, Jeff, um, so is there anyone that's in the field that you think is someone that you're, n- maybe you're not going to be competing against per se, but is there anybody that's in the field that you are looking forward to spending some time with out there? During hard rock, or or even just in training, for that matter.
0: I, I mean, um, go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I mean, I think for I don't. I haven't really thought about that, to be honest with you. I just think that I'm lucky to be in the field, you know. And I think just like you said, it's been seven years since I've driven into Silverton to start the race, and, and that whole thing. You walk around town a little bit, and you see faces, and you bump into people. I mean, think I don't care who it is, whether it's you know the slowest person or fastest person or whatever, I'm excited to to have those conversations with those people in town. I mean, I'm not going to be staying in town. I'm going to stay at my house in Ridgeway because I live close enough. But um, just being, you know, walking in the gym on Wednesday and checking in and that kind of stuff, it's going to be kind of surreal because I haven't seen it in a long time. And, you know, over in the last four or five years, you know, when I was, I used to have that target on my back. Now the target's gone. and you know, I don't bump into as many people that know me and stuff. And it, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of cool and kind of not, you know, in a sense, it's kind of weird. Like used to be this guy that everybody looked at one of that photo with. And now I just kind of like secretly just step in there and do my thing. But I, it's very big excited to see Dale to shoot the shit with him, Um, cause I haven't had that, that time at all and stuff. And it's going to be good to see the old faces. And I know a lot of the people that will be there, won't be running that have run before that all know. Um, so it'll be cool to kind of catch up like an old family. You know, they call it the hard rock family thing and, and it is pretty unique. Um, I know that if I show up, I'm going well, when I show up, I'm going to see a lot of people that I haven't seen in a long time. So for me, that's doesn't matter who, where in the race it is. It's really just about who's hanging out in the gym. Um, you know, and, and, the, and then the battle stories that we will talk about after at the breakfast, um, which is always entertaining. Yep. Um, that's, that's what I look forward to the most. And again, I, just got to make sure to cross the finish line. Um, I don't care how long it takes me. It really doesn't matter.
3: Courtney and I are usually running this similar pace early. So we end up hanging out at least on the first climb or two, or the first 30 or 40 miles sometimes. Um, last year she kind of just took off up through pole Creek, but we were together through pole, like around pole Creek is where she kind of after pole Creek aid station is kind of where she took off. Um, and, and, uh, you know, that, those are the main ones. I mean, if I get in, I have to, I'm seventh on the wait list. So we'll hopefully I, I, you know, I'm right on the bubble, you know, so we'll see. But, um, even if not, I'll be there volunteering and hanging out and acclimating for a different race. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to like, just hanging out with like who I normally end up around, you know, early in the race.
1: Um, so you were talking about battle stories in the gym. What's what's one of your favorite stories from Hard Rock?
0: Well, I think
1: so I know there's a Well, there's there. there's a
0: few things I can think of, but I think one of the, the best one of the best races that, that I one of the years that I won was um it was Hal Kerner, it was Nate McDowell. Um and we're coming so it was let's see, it was counterclockwise direction and you know, Rock Horton was their aid station captain up at Virginia's. And he he asked me, he said, what kind of tequila do you like? I said, um, I said, well, don't buy that garbage Clairvaux. I said, get something the least decent. And I'm like, I don't care. Just get something decent. Make sure it's 100% agave. So so anyway, um, I think, I, I believe Nate McDowell was leading up the Camp Road Road. And he led over Virginia's. And... I think I was in I, I think I was in third Hal was in second, and I was sort of closing on on those guys a little bit as I got to governor's and i you know i you, you know and you go up those things you can kind of see lights ahead of you maybe if they turn around and they're looking back and you can see their lights way up there and and Nagel's over the pass, I think it was that, and then Hal went over the pass and and hal was i think i I can't remember if Hal did a shot at the kill or not, but um when I got to the pass, Hal had left twelve minutes before me. And I was like, oh, I'm gaining on him, you know, because it was like twenty minutes of governor or something. So I was gaining ground and I was I was like, and I think Rock's like, you want something? So I have like, oh, just give me some Subis. He's Like, you want some tequila? I was like, I was like, no, 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 I don't think so. But I was like, like oh, whatever. Just give me a shot. So so I shot took a shot at tequila. It was Hornitos. <laughs> and then I took off. And and when I took off, I was chasing down how. When I came across Mendota before before the Mendota Ridge turn, like less than a mile off the pass. How was standing there in the middle of the base and just staring down like, like a zombie, you know, and I and it was you know it's dark and it's night times whatever time it was in the morning and uh and it was just funny. I'm like, you all right, man? And he's like, oh yeah, I'm all right, man. I'm all right. And I was like, okay. So so I just left him there, and it was just funny because he was just in there in a daze, and then I took off and I dropped him, and How still finished in like I think he finished like 31 hours or something, but then Nate dropped I think at over. And then I went on to win. And that was just like, I didn't expect to catch those guys like that. The whole shot at the keel thing was kind of funny. But I mean, I had, I mean, as far as my battles out there, it's it's hard to remember everything. Like when I raced Scott, I was giving him shit for, because his pacer, Dusty, had these massive lights behind him. Like, you know, he had a pacer, which was Dusty Olsen. And he was shining him like he had a car light on. And he had these two really big lights so he could see really well. I'm running alone without a pacer. And at that time, we didn't even have waist lamps. We just had headlamps, right? So you're going down Oscars, which is nasty, you know, um, with one. I had like probably had like a 200 lumen headlamp or something. And Jurek had, you know, a freight train. And I was giving him shit because he had so much light. I'm like, that's why you have a pacer, dude. You could have run without a pacer. You never would have beat me by that much, you know. Um, but I've just... I just just giving him shit because it was like I at that time I was always sans pacer, you know, and I still don't I still don't use pacers, but at the same time it was like I felt like that was a huge advantage to him at the time. Just from that competitive nature of myself, you know. Um then I took a nap at Ofer and when Chrissy Males showed up, she was in third or fourth, James Barner came rolling in and I was sleeping in the corner of a tent and I had been sleeping for like an hour and a half, maybe even a little more. And uh, when I heard Chrissy there, I was like, "I'm not getting ticked. So <laughs> I got up. I got up, and I'm like, "Chrissy left before me," but I I caught her pretty quickly, and I passed her. And uh, I think Jared Campbell might have been there too, I'm trying to remember. But 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 I I ran the fastest split to the finish. A little bit it was five hours or something from there. Now the guys run it way faster, but at the time it was a pretty fast split. And um, but yeah, it was just that race with Turek too was, was interesting because it was all about, you know, Scott sprained his ankle the Monday or Tuesday before the race. Do you guys remember that? And when that happened, it was gnarly. Yeah. When that happened, I was like, in, in the back of my mind, I'm like, Oh, don't get me wrong here. I'm like, Oh cool. Scott broke his ankle. No, well, not broke his ankle, but sprained his ankle. And now I have a better chance of winning now <laughs> because I raced <laughs> against Scott. And then, you know, then he's, I mean, he, he did what he did and he got that thing fine for the race. Um, that thing was so gnarly after the race. I was like, "No way is he running." I saw it like Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm like, you know, like he's toast, you know. But he, but you know, sprained ankles are—you uh, can sort of bust through those. I mean, I I remember spraining my ankle running down Pikes Peak in the marathon when I sprained it at the top. I rolled it really hard, and but I ran. I slammed all the way down the mountain. The next day, I couldn't even walk on it. But you can sort <laughs> of run through it once you're moving it doesn't stiffen up and you can actually keep going.
3: Yeah. You just can't quit. You just moving. can't quit
0: moving. Right. And that's what he did. And that was like, in that regard, that was like super impressive. Um, the only thing more impressive of that was Scott's AT finish, but that's a different story. But that ankle thing was pretty, pretty incredible that he pulled that off that year. Um, and he ran 26 to eight to boot. So, yeah. um, that was really, really impressive. I was, was like, wow, you know, like he deserved to win. I mean, even if he would have won by 20 minutes, he still was, I mean, he still was the toughest guy out there that day, period. So that was, that was a great, yeah. that was a great, it was a great time having him there and racing him. We, Scott and I didn't race much in our careers, you know, most times was, it was, uh, you know, we raced at White River, but it wasn't really his focus race and, and stuff. So we never really raced head to head. Like that was the only time he and I, it was, you know, Meltzer jerk race or whatever, you know, um, the only one time and with both of us, have had long careers, uh, won a lot of stuff and we really haven't raced each other much, but those, those, those are two races that were really, really cool.
1: cool. Chrissy Mail told us the story of somebody told her the story of you just like sat up in your cot, like, uh, and then when you heard that she was out coming you know, and ironically when i got up yeah. i wasn't
0: even i mean i wasn't really sore i just got up and like okay i gotta get going you know like you you would <laughs> think i would be stiff as a board laying there right but i kind of got up and i rallied and uh that nap did me did me right you know i mean i never really slept in a race before <laughs> but uh that time it, i for some reason i pulled in there i'm like i need to sleep i'm
3: going down i'm taking a nap you know i knew scott was gone That's the only race I've taken a nap into. And it was the same year and that was my first hard rock. So, you know, Carl, Carl had slept a little earlier than I did. I came in later because I went out in about third or fourth and I, I wasn't, shouldn't have been in that. I went out way too hard for my, where I was in my career at that time. I wasn't, I shouldn't have been up front and especially at hard rock. And I blew up big time going over to Uray and that year and I had to sleep it over and I was, I slept like 45 Mm -hmm. minutes and I, I mean, I was a different, that's the only time I've ever had to do that. You know, in a hundred miler is just that one, one year, but man, it, it changed me. I was able to like finish. I still finished in like 33 something that year, I think, but it was a, it was a rough, I had a really rough, I had a really rough (laughs) second half.
0: Nothing worse than the death march at the (laughs) end for 30 miles.
3: It was a death march. It was a learning experience. Perfect.
2: I um so Carl, everybody knows you as as Speed Goat. I'm not sure everybody knows where where the name came from or how you uh, how you developed that into a brand. Can you tell us how that how that
3: um, part came about? I
0: mentioned a friend of friend of mine, Scott Mason, um, at Pikes Peak Marathon. While we were driving home from there, and there was a there was a shoe uh, that Phila made called the Escape Goat. And I ran in that shoe at that time. This was early nineties. And, uh, you know, it was just a shoe called the scapegoat. It was a pretty, pretty good shoe actually. And then my buddy and I were just driving home and we saw this jackrabbit cross the road. And, and, and I was like, man, that's like a speed goat. And it was like, that's a great name. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, it's just, why hasn't somebody come up with that? You know, at the time I was like, why hasn't somebody named a shoe after that? And, you know, I just kind of, Bottled that up, and then one year when I entered Zane Gray, I think it was '99, maybe. The race director, um, instead of entering Carl Meltzer, he entered the Wasatch Speed Goat. and he put that name on the list as that was my name running. And I didn't, I didn't even expect that. Honestly, didn't expect that. And he put it on there, and that sort of resonated with me a little bit. And I just sort of, sort of brought that name into, and I just sort of you know, like any nickname, just kind of comes to, to someone. Um, but then when I started to realize, like, you know, this could be something worthwhile, <laughs> which it has turned out to be, I, I kind of bottled it up and then I trademarked it as in a certain class. And then uh, and now it's, you know, now it's a shoe <laughs> um, that's so, that's <laughs> destroying it globally. And and I've been very, very lucky in my career to have that happen. I mean, I that's a dream world like you talk about oh the Air Jordan, you know that's that for michael jordan i'm sure at the time it's a whole different ballgame but i mean that's that's a dream world right when you have a shoe named after you and i just sort of like rolled with it and now now we're trying to create a brand and have a store and create our own stuff and that's been a bit of a challenge too That that's where it started just a random you know a random drive in a car and it just resonated with me and i and that that image that you see uh that goat man image thing came from a magazine that was in a Runners world magazine. this was like early 90s, remember thirty years ago. put it on a copy machine and I copied it and then I made it a JPEG file and I put it on a shirt we, we blurred it out a lot it was it's very different than what the original was, but we blurred it out made sure that it wasn't illegal to use because it was a Nike ad actually you know the rest is kind of history on that i mean it's, it's a cool image and I just thought I'd be a cool thing to have Then we start the race, you know the Spigo race, and then that that went off pretty good pretty well. And, uh, I live in a dream world. So if I ever complained, just smack me. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, life's been good. And that name has been of so it. is there. Yeah.
2: So Jeff, is there, is there a Bronco Billy shoe or race coming soon?
3: Um, there's just the Bronco race vest Ultraspire oh. makes. We have two, two packs, a 12 liter and a, and a five liter, but yeah, that's it. No shoes. Um, yep. Yeah. But, but the vest is sweet, though. I mean, yeah. I've
0: used your vest. I mean, the vest is nice. It fits great. You know, I don't use vests very often. I'm not really a vest guy. But at the same time,
3: yeah, you're the two-bottle waste
0: two guy. Man. Waist guy. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, Bryce at Ultraspire has done a lot for Jeff and I. He's You know, we've got my little pack there, too. And he works with athletes to create what they really want or what they need and what they think is right. He really is. He's great. Ultraspire has been, for Jeff and I, a great relationship, I think. And, uh, like I yeah. would never change that. Even if someone offered me so much money, it wouldn't matter because I've always stuck with my sponsors that I've had over the years. I've been with for a long, long time. Um, Hoka is the youngest sponsor I have. And that was 2009. So Drymax and Ultraspire spire are, 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 and, are the other two and first endurance are the other are three others that are, I've been with for like 20 years because I enjoy, uh, cause I like their products. Um, it's, I'm just not the kind of guy that bounces around. I feel like I like to stick where I'm at. Pretty simple. Um, if Casio would just sponsor me, I'd be set. But <laughs> <laughs> um, they haven't reached out yet, so
3: <laughs> they might uh, need a GPS. I just, a want, GPS want, I just watch. want a Ford Bronco, a free Ford Bronco. Yeah, right? Why are you not driving you around in the Bronco? Got... I know. The Why is, is Ford
0: not a kiss head? Jeff, you need a Bronco. Oh my god! I mean, with all due respect, that's like that needs to be pursued. Whether it's by you or I know, it, some guy it, that helps you out, you know, yeah. no doubt. Yeah. That's perfect. Nobody has no, we, we thought the speed goat, you know, Subaru Outback would be great too, but they haven't come. They haven't come with <laughs> the speed goat version, right? They haven't come with that yet, but I put horns on the front. Classic.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm working on that. Part. <laughs> uh, Jeff, how did
1: you get your nickname?
3: Uh, when I first got in the sport, like O two O three. Um, I came from a climbing background and I used to climb with a buddy from Wyoming that yelled giddy up all the time. And we, it became like a catchphrase for all our climbing circle and we used it all the time. And I grew up on a farm. So giddy up naturally came naturally to me yelling and we'd use it in all circumstances, you know, to motivate someone, you know, or something like that, or to, to celebrate someone nailing a route or something like that. And so I kind of, when I moved to Oregon, um, I was in the habit of using that term a lot so I was yelling giddy up all the time. And I had a buddy, this guy, Jason Moyer, who's a pretty fast dude from Bend, Oregon. Um, and he was an ultra marathon, back good backhunter skier. And he, uh, he and I trained quite a bit when my early career together. And um, we kind of nicknamed each other. He somehow came up with Bronco Billy. I don't know where he came, where it came from. He, I just yelled giddy up all the time. So he started calling me Bronco Billy. And then I started calling him because he came from like a... a like Norse descent and he claimed to be a direct descendant of the berserker <laughs> tribe. So I, I basically called him berserker all the time, you know, and I would yell stuff like giddy up berserker, you know, get your battle axe. <laughs> and, and we would, we would joke back and forth with these nicknames. Um, and then like people like Chrissy male, Rock Horton, um, Ty Draney, some of the early guys that were in the sport that were sponsored, they all got to know me. And by that time I had started a blog, called gobroncobilly.com mm-hmm. and, um, before social media and blogs kind of took off. And I, I originally did it just to kind of do race reports and share photos and race reports with my family back in the Midwest. They were like, what the heck are you doing in Oregon? You know, running hundred milers. And, and so I kind of shared that, well, that kind of got popular and everybody started following blogs and then everyone in the sport, cause it was such a small sport, especially in the mid two thousands. Um, and I started winning some hundreds in like mid two thousands and, you know, rock and Chrissy and all those guys, they all started calling me Bronco and they just, they just, they just naturally started calling me that. And, and no one, I'd ever asked them to call me that, you know, they just naturally, it just, they just shortened it to Bronco and then everyone started calling me Bronco. And then I'd hear people at races saying, go Bronco, you know, and, so it would just like naturally kind of like speed goat. it just kind of took on a life of its own after a while within the sport. Um, and then I was te- in tech and go Bronco Billy. You know, I got like Twitter and Instagram cause I was like working in tech. And I was like, well, I gotta get those. I was a branding person, you know, design and branding and graphic design. So that was a natural, you know, progression within the tech scene um, to gr- be an early adopter of those technologies. And so it just kind of, you know, I naturally kept those because I was already had the website.
2: You guys are both, um, you're both coaches and I don't know, I, I don't know if either of you have anyone that you're coaching currently that is in hard rock now, but I I'm, I imagine you've both got clients that are looking at hard rock. Have you, um, have you noticed? A, I mean, we think there has been a lot more interest in the event uh, in the last few years. Obviously, it's taking people a long time to get in. Um, as As a coach, what's your perception of of people's attraction to Hard Rock? Is that something you encourage, or are you encouraging them to go out and look at other other events because it's going to take so long to get in?
0: I, I think for I think for me, my uh, Tara Dower is in Hard Rock, and I've been coaching Tara for a while. Um she won Run Rabbit run this year. She's oh, won, great. She's I've been helping her out. And uh she was excited to get in too, you know. Like she blew my mind when she got in. But but at any rate, um if if you want to run hard rock, if you know, obviously you have to run the qualifier, right? I don't necessarily say, you know, your whole life should be focused around these qualifiers. Like it's the same thing with Western states. People want to run western, they've got to run their western qualifier. Oh, I qualified for Western. Well, you didn't really qualify for Western, you qualified for a lottery for one percent chance. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of great races out there um, that I mean, hard rock is special because it has the history now. It is an amazing course. It's a loop. Um, It's really hard. It's hard to get in. Most of the fastest people on the planet have run it. It's a special it's a special place to stand on that start line. So I would always encourage people to, you know, if you really want to run hard rock, number one, you've got to put your time in. You've got to get your, you have know, got to do your qualifier. Of course, you've got to focus on that first. You know, um, get that done. Um, so you work together to get that done, and then, then from that point, your lottery odds are what they are. And if it comes down to the point where you actually do get in, like Tara, um, and I've had other clients that got in too in the past years, and it's like, okay, well, now we this is, has to be your main focus because this is the one that's going to be the toughest. It's you know, you can lead up to it doing this, that, and the other, but there's no. There's no race out there that's the same, because I mean the altitude, like we talked about the climatization. It's like that's something you have to say. Well, you have to commit to that. Um, you can't just show up and you know get on your versa climber or your your stair stepper or whatever, hanging out in Florida, and think you're gonna <laughs> and think you're gonna do well at hard rock. You've got to really commit to it. You know, I think that's the key is the commitment. Um, once you once you get on that lottery list. And then just, you know, hope the gods work with you. And then once you do, if if you do get in, you got to make that your number one priority. You can't worry about the other stuff. It's just, uh, I mean, I'm a fan of running races before other big races, as long as there's enough lead time before it to be recovered and trained a little more, but, to, but to, to learn from those other races too, to kind of practice what you might do at Hard Rock. Um, and in a lot of places you can't really do that without the tube, but you can still work on your nutrition strategy. and what you're carrying and your pack, all that kind of stuff. Um, It's important to do that Mm -hmm. before you actually get to the course. And then like we talked about earlier, get out there and get on the course, you know, I mean, I've been encouraging Tara to get in her van and move to, (laughs) move to Silverton the month before and just blow off work, you know, (laughs) Um, because she's, she's a good runner. You know, I think she's, she's pretty fast and I think she'll do really well if she really focuses on it. And she's tough. She's. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I was going to say my, my, my i have one athlete running it um this year but i've had somebody almost every year um running and so uh i've had people specifically seek me out based on getting into it you know as soon as they mm-hmm. got in in the lottery they reached out to try to get on my roster so like for me it's it, the biggest thing is everybody always just focuses on it and if you're going to commit to hard rock you've got to say well you know, every two years I have to have a qualifier, right? So I've got to focus on mountain races every other year. And most of my athletes who are wanting to get into hard rock are focusing on at least one qualifier a year. And the and the beauty of that, and they all know we, we manage expectations and it's like, well, it, it, you're going to take six to 10 years to get in. If you're going to commit to it, you need to enter it every year and you need to build up your tickets and you need to, and you should go there. You should go there early, you should go help, you should go volunteer, you should go learn about the course a little bit, get on the course. So when you actually get in, you're set yourself up for success. Because you have, you know, in six years, let's say you get in in five and you get in early. Like if you've done been running mountain, a mountain qualifier for five years straight, you're way more experienced runner than when you first started entering. And so, you know, occasionally someone's going to get in and, you know, with barely any tickets, but, but usually it takes a little while. And so, you know, on average six to 10 years, so you're going to have to commit and you're going to have to, and you're going to get better and you're going to be a way more experienced runner by the time you show up on the start line. Uh, And you're going to appreciate that finish, you know, when you do get in, like I've had multiple athletes over the years that have been like a couple of them were like nine, one was eight years entering when they finally got in and we coached them through it. And, and they've enjoyed every second of it. Right. Because by the time they got in, they were like, man. I I really like have been wanting to run this race for so long and now it's like, oh my gosh, surreal that I actually got in. So they they don't want to mess up, right? And so they they really absorb it and, and look yeah, and forward to it. I think his
0: it. best point was to go go to the race, even if you're not in, go to it, scope it out. See what see what see what other people do, you know? Watch the leaders, watch the back of the pack, watch kind of everybody to see what they're what they're what they're doing, you know. You can learn a lot by working at an aid station. You know, I'm watching what people do, yeah. especially watching the you know, you may be trying to do it in forty eight hours and that's fine, but see what the leaders do. Like they don't screw around, you know. It's okay to be thorough with what you're doing, but at the same time, um, you know, sitting down for twenty minutes and chatting with your buddies, then you then you miss a cutoff, that's not so good. You know, you gotta learn how to be efficient. And watching coming to the race and watching that yeah. helps a lot. Great great advice.
2: Guys, I before we before we wrap it up. I I'd, I'd hate to have both of you on here and miss a story or miss something that you think is uh is is really cool that you wanted us to know. So if there's a if there's a story or something else that you um that you wanted to get to or a piece of advice or whatever, this is a great time to to toss that out there.
0: For the most yeah. people out there that are running ultras and stuff like that, it's important to train hard and, and focus on things and everything like that. But at the same time, remember what you're doing. And remember that your opportunities, you know, life is short. I mean, I, I'm 56 right now. I, 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 I play the game like I'm 20 or 17 years old because I feel like I'm, in my head, I'm still 17, right? But I'm not. <laughs> I'm 56. So enjoy every moment of it that you can. And, and just remember that life is short and it goes fast. I mean, I, Jeff and I both had really long careers. And I'm sure, Jeff, like you're 51? 52. 52. So, you know we're close, um, to the same age, and and uh, we're both still doing it. And don't ever think that when you're 45 five old, because <laughs> you're we thought we were old and we were 45, but we're not. You know, but now we're 56, and now I'd, I wish I was 45 again. It's just taking everything with a grain of salt and enjoy <laughs> what you're doing before anything else. It's it's more important to try to have fun and remember that you know it's not always about the race; it's about the the journey. I mean, and and for me now, being older and slower. It's, it is about the journey. And I had this other focus, again, of finishing 100 of them. And I don't care how fast it is. It, it's it's still just as fun and enjoyable, whether you're the first guy or the last guy across the line. And if you ever do get to Hard Rock, then, you know, get it, get it done, man. You got 48 hours. All you got to do is two miles an hour, right? You can get there. You will have a bad patch probably, but you can do it in any race. And just remember that it's only one effort. When you drop out of a race at mile 70, and I've done it before too many times, um, you're very disappointed when you go home with the tail between your legs because you always know that you could have put a little more effort in there. Um, just focus and get it done and, and enjoy life more than anything because it's, it goes fast.
3: I guess my parting wisdom would be, if you are in, be ready for afternoon thunderstorms. <laughs> <laughs> There's lightning. <laughs> um, and don't. It's one of the few races you don't really want to skimp on your gear. You really, really want to have good gear, good light, packable stuff that, that is pretty bomb proof, um, waterproof. Um, because I've, I've, I've had a really close call in 2014, getting hype almost hypothermic. There was a year that like Adam Campbell was up on yeah. top of handies when the storm hit and Coop and I were down in American basin. Um, and we, it, the, the race paused for 70 minutes for us and it, it was a trip. It was weird, but that is hard rock. And, and so be, be ready with gear and be safe it, during it because you can get yourself in a really bad situation with, if it's a stormy season, you know, cause every once in a while we have a really bad weather year. And I mean, there's a, the afternoon thunderstorms are pretty typical, right? A dry year is not typical like last year. Um, I've only had, out of seven. I've only had two years where it didn't rain, you know, on me at least once or twice during the race in the afternoon thunderstorms. And one year where it was like apocalyptic in the second half, yeah. it was crazy. And so, you know, I, I, I know Chris, you've been pinned down before I think and Oh yeah. Yeah. It can be, it can be scary and just know, know what to do and know, know the protocols, know what to do when you're in that situation above tree line. That would be my parting wisdom. <laughs>
2: That's a trick. I wish I could get pinned down below tree line. (laughs) That would be, at least I'd feel like I had some cover, but yeah. The worst stuff always seems to hit when you're up there above tree line and there's nowhere to hide.
0: Yeah.
2: I definitely have some,
3: yeah, I I definitely have some like traumatic stress syndrome type of (laughs) symptoms because of that year. (laughs) You know, ever since then, when there's like stuff rolling in, I'm like, Oh, Oh, I don't want to go up there.
0: (laughs) It's, it can be really scary. No doubt about it.
3: Yeah, lightning's powerful, especially at fourteen thousand yeah. feet. Well, guys, Spigo,
2: Carl, Meltzer. Bronco Billy, Jeff Browning, thank you so much for spending time to talk with us today. Um, this podcast is all about collecting those great stories, and you folks have got so much experience out here and have shared so much wisdom with us. I've I've been out there a bunch, and I feel like I've learned a great deal. I'm, I'm enthusiastic now to get there to Silverton. I'm looking forward to seeing you both out there. Uh, Jeff, I hope you do get in, although, of course, we don't wish anybody that's in. We don't wish anyone ill, right? Um, But a few people will have to drop off for you to get off the waitlist. So we're just hoping that, you know, some people get engaged or win trips around the world or find (laughs) other, you know, come to their senses. Maybe something happens and they don't decide (laughs) to do it. One way or another, though, we know that we're going to see you in Silverton. Um, That's where hard rockers belong, right? I say it every episode. Summer is it summer in Colorado, summer in in, uh, in Silverton is where hard rockers belong. So if you guys are hard rockers, I know you'll see you there, and I look forward to it. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Very cool.
3: Thanks.
1: That's when i see my... That was a really fun conversation with the both of them. Um, I think it was interesting hearing about, one of my favorite parts was hearing about how Jeff Browning got his nickname. Um, yeah. <laughs> I knew how Carl had gotten his, I think it was from a Red Bull video, that was put out where he jumped out of a helicopter and then he like ran down a hill and um and gave his story about how he got his nickname um had some really bad like flashback acting in it so hearing <laughs> Jeff's uh story on how he got his uh his nickname was awesome
2: yeah you know i i think we could have talked to them for another couple of hours uh they're clearly good friends and it's neat to it's neat to talk to people One of the things I super appreciate, right, Carl is not expecting to compete for the win at Hard Rock this year, right? He's just really excited to be back. And I really admire that. I have huge admiration for these folks that are used to being in the front of these races, both of these guys are still competitive. They're still winning. Carl just won a hundred miler a few days ago as we recorded this. So they're still very competitive, but they understand who the field is this year at hard rock. And they're not expecting to be up there. But they're still a part of the sport, and they're still excited to be involved, and they're still excited to cheer other people on. And I love that. I really, really admire anyone who knows what it's like to be at the front end of the run and still wants to be a part of it, even when they know they're not going to be at the front of the run. That validates what the rest of us are doing out there. Dan, you and I, I mean, no spoilers here, you and I are never going to win Hard Rock. You know, it's just, it's just not going to happen. And, and yet the fact that, Um, that there are these other people who also are not expecting to win Hard Rock. And they've done it before, both of them. And they're still going to line up. Um, You know, Jeff's on the wait list, but he's going to be back. He ran Hard Rock last year. Um, He's going to be back. Carl's back this year. It's really exciting that they still are going to be a part of it, even if they're not competing for the win. It, It validates what the rest of us are doing. It shows that Hard Rock is a run and not a race. And I'm just really happy we had them on. really appreciate their perspective.
1: Yeah. And I liked hearing the hearing the stories from out on the trail as well. Like Carl talking about, oh, you know, Justy Olsen, he's shining all those lights behind Scott. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's my best Carl Meltzer impression. But, uh, you know, hearing about things like that or just was really fun conversation. And yeah, I don't think me and you actually had to do much uh, introducing or much um, talking, really. Yeah, it was awesome. Very little. We expected that, and that's just fine.
2: No, absolutely. That's why we do this outro, so that we have the chance to say a little bit of something. Hey,
1: everybody. Please join us next time on the Hard Talk podcast as we talk to Tara Dower, one of the special consideration picks for the 2024 run, and overall, just a very fun human to talk to. That's when i sing my,
3: my song